Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, front and center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. In the Know, the Bourbon Street Shots Podcast. We're your hosts, Shemit Dua and Mason Ginsberg, and this is all Pelicans all the time. Welcome to another episode of In the Know. We are continuing our series for all 29 teams, just chopping it up, talking about potential trade options, talking about the season, free agency, things like that. Uh, what better way to spend an offseason? And so we are joined by Salman Ali, who is part of uh, ESPN 975 in Houston and runs the Red Nation Hoops Blue Wire podcast. So, you know, doing a, a crossover episode here. So how are you doing? Thanks for joining. Yeah, I'm doing all right. Happy to be here. Uh, how are you guys doing? Pretty good. Um, podcast number two on the night for us. Just talk some calves and then we'll uh, hit, hit on some rockets, rockets ball too. Yeah. Hold yeah. on. Like but before we get into that, like, are you guys like drained? Like when you guys do back to back podcasts like this, because I can't do that. I'm a writer by trait. I sense that you guys are too. So podcasting is already unnatural for me. So are you guys like on an energy scale one to 10? Where are you guys at right now? <laughs> well, it's a, a couple of things. One is uh, Schmidt's being nice because my, the rest of my week's kind of uh, a mess. And so we're doing two in one night just to, to knock a couple out. And the other is, um, you know, we just, we, we, we're, we're trying to get more content out there and I think this is a good way to do it. And so we're, we're trying to be flexible and, and making, if, if people can make 
make certain times work, we'll just, uh, we'll just, we'll just crack them out. So my energy scale was a negative two before this podcast, because <laughs> I had gone on a run and just gotten back in time to get on for the other podcast. Hadn't eaten dinner, done that <laughs> podcast. It was calves. And then I texted Mason. I was like, can we ask Salman if we can push it back like 10 minutes to give me some time to scarf down some food. So I was at an all time low, got some food in me and we're, we're trending back to neutral here and ready to give it a push through this podcast. The second one. Look, no, nothing, uh, nothing motivates me more than talking about Tillman for Teta. So uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's just, just jump in. <laughs> yeah. We had a pretty big segment on Tillman on our previous podcast and a lot has happened since that podcast came out. So we had discussed it in the context of hiring coaches and, whether he'd be willing to pony up the, the money to hire Ty Lue. And well, Daryl Morey stepped down since then, and the coaching direction has gone uh, a different way. And just wanted to get your thoughts on what this past week has been and, and this whole Daryl Morey situation and why you think Daryl stepped down and all of that. Just if you want to word vomit it, go for it. Yeah, this is a pretty precarious situation for the Rockets. I can't remember a time from my, you know, my short sprint, you know, covering the Rockets like from 2014 till now that it's been more precarious. Like maybe that one season where they, you know, they just their last year with Dwight Howard, they went 41-41, got knocked out in the first round and they had to hire a new coach and they had a bunch of cap space. So th- that was that was un- uncharted territory for them, but this is I I did not see Daryl Morey stepping down at all. Like I thought, like this completely threw me off guard. I I the Rockets have more question question marks going into this off season than any off season in the past twenty years it, it, by far. What's what's the biggest question? <laughs> I, there's a lot of them, but what's the what's the biggest one? Well, I mean, first of all, Raphael Stone, uh, the guy who's uh, been promoted to general manager, has some big shoes to fill for, in terms of Daryl Moore. Like Daryl was a, in terms of figureheads for the organization, there was nobody bigger. The only guy that came close was James Harden himself. Like for the organization, like I, I can't think of anybody that was as widely known uh, as Daryl Morey. And it is crazy that... Um, Raphael Stone is stepping in and you know a lot of people still don't know who this guy is right like like this is uh Rockets in-house council since 2005 he's been slowly promoted up the ranks but again the Rockets have lost a lot of front office talent you know Monty McNair Garrison Rosas and uh you know uh, Raphael was kind of the the next guy up on the chain and because these guys have been kind of plucked away from the Rockets so fast, not met, not many people have gotten to know Raphael. So that's going to be interesting. That's one question mark. Uh, number two is definitely their head coaching search, which, uh, you know, they're, um, you, you guys in New Orleans know how this is like. This is a pretty big uh, decision the Rockets have to make within the next couple of weeks. I, I assume they're going to make that decision this week. And, you know, th- that was probably going to be their biggest question mark going into this. But now that, I mean, you're one of the best general managers in the league just stepped down. Like, and you're go- you're having to replace him with somebody who is a relative unknown. Been with the organization for a while, but still a relative unknown. So there's a bunch of more question marks that have just popped up behind that. Uh, and I, I, I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know where the Rockets go from here. That that second round exit against the Lakers is pretty ugly. 
Uh, they start off the series strong, but I mean, in general, throughout the postseason, they've been kind of underperforming. Had that first round go seven games to the Thunder, should not have gone that long. And they just fell apart against the Lakers. I mean, just completely fell apart. That last game was not even remotely close. So there's just a bunch of questions they have to answer about their roster, about their head coaching vacancy, about Tillman Fertitta, which I'm guessing you guys are going to press me on in a couple minutes. But, uh, just a bunch of stuff there. I, I, I don't even know which direction to go in. I mean, I guess you guys, I mean, this is your podcast. You can ask me whatever you guys want. Yeah, there is a lot to unpack there. I guess we can just start with the main topic first, which is Daryl Morey. What do you think contributed to his stepping down? I, I really do think it's personal reasons. Uh, and this is not a cop-out. This is not me, you know, caping for Tillman Fertitta at all. I'm just from... The reading the facts on the ground, reading everything that's been reported, nothing's been reported to contradict anything other than this is Daryl Morey stepping down because he's gassed and he wants to step away from the game for a little bit. He may come back into the NBA, but it, it really does seem like he wants to spend this time with his family. Uh, he spent, you know, he went. He's one of the few general managers that actually went to the bubble and spent time with the Rockets. He was away from his family for like, you know, three four months, like you got to figure that's got to have him thinking about everything, you know, evaluating life in a different way. I know a lot of people are doing that in the midst of this pandemic. And, you know, for Daryl at that time away from his family, I, I gotta, I gotta believe that that had something to do with it. And his, both of his kids are taking gap years from school. So uh, I'm guessing he wants to spend that time with them. And, you know, Daryl is a really intelligent guy. Like he doesn't have to be in basketball. He's the kind of guy who can make uh, tens of millions of dollars in a different industry if he wanted to. He just chose basketball, and you know, he has a bunch of other opportunities he wants to. He can explore if he wants to. I mean, he, he, even as a creative, like he wrote this play, uh, Small Ball, a couple years ago, uh, that he, he he wanted to just explore that side of his creativity. So I, I don't know what direction he wants to go in. Maybe he still does want to come back into basketball. He it seems like he hasn't ruled it out, but it it does seem for the time being that this is a decision, you know, solely based off of personal decisions, uh, personal reasons, and perhaps uh, the state of the franchise kind of accelerated it. You know, the, the, the fact that the Rockets are a team with no cap flexibility and few draft picks moving forward, uh, it's kind of bleak right now. So perhaps that situation accelerated his decision to step down. Yeah, and so that was kind of where I wanted to go with this. It's kind of a tangential question. Uh, wind the clock back a year or wherever, whenever the last offseason was. It, I, I lose track of time in this in 2020. But um, with the Chris Paul trade for, for Russell Westbrook. And by all accounts, that was not a Daryl Morey-esque type of move. Um uh, put that in context with what his, his recent decision. Do you feel like a year ago he was thinking that this, he may feel like it's, it might be time to step away. And in and, and that respect, he said, well, you know, if it doesn't work out, I won't be around to see with everything crash and burn. Uh, or, or do you feel like it was just a genuine, he's trying to do what his star wants, what, what, what the rest of the organization wants to really put the team in a place to, to what they believe is a better chance to win a title, whether, whether or not that is true. What can you kind of talk, talk about that trade a year ago and then how it compares to the situation right now? 
So there's probably not one clear answer for for this, right? And I know that's not the answer you guys want, but the, but I I think after that that final game against Golden State, something happened between Chris Paul and James Harden, a, a some sort of verbal altercation in the locker room that we haven't been able to properly ascertain because the players aren't going to talk about that, right? And we and you know it's not that reporters haven't tried, but uh, something happened between those two. Those guys had separate press conferences after the game, which was a little bizarre, but uh, Chris Paul had an incident with the media beforehand. So it it didn't look as bizarre, but after finding that out, it it definitely shed a a lot more light on the situation. So I think there there was a fracture there. And before both players ever got to review, like, you know, repair that fracture, uh, the Rockets saw this opportunity to, I'm guessing, um, trade for a younger superstar. And they thought that Chris Paul was on his last legs. I disagreed with that. I thought the trade was not good at the time. And um, I'm guessing they just thought this asset, Russell Westbrook, over the next three or four years is going to be better than Chris Paul over the next three. So I'm guessing that's the calculus that you know, the organization was making. And you're right. It did not seem like a Daryl move. I think Daryl was somebody who was a huge backer of Chris Paul. In fact, reporting came out this week that it seems like Daryl was someone who was really high on Chris Paul, even after that season uh, where he didn't look himself. And, you know, Chris Paul was really injured that year. Like he had the hamstring, he was coming off the hamstring injury that forced him to miss the rest of that Golden State series that almost, uh, that almost ended up with the Rockets in the NBA finals. So he was a banged up guy. And I thought, you know, the Rockets should have let it, let it play out another year, but they wanted to jump the gun. My sense is that I don't think Daryl Morey was the loudest voice in that room. I'll I'll put it that way. I I, I think, I think Daryl was a part of that decision. I think he was a part of the, obviously a part of the negotiations. I think he definitely reached out to Sam Presti and was interested in Russell Westbrook. I don't think when it came decision time, I'm not sure if he was the loudest voice in that room. I, and whether that voice was James Harden, whether that voice was was Tillman Fertitta, we still don't know yet. But that's my that's my feel on that. So, I hate to put it this way: is this the beginning of the end? Well, we'll see. I mean, it really does. Uh, it really does depend on what Raphael Stone d- decides to do in the offseason. and. and you know, what we can learn from him as a general manager, right? Again, a lot is unknown about how he chooses to operate. I, I know the Rockets aren't going away from analytics. Like the, Eli Wittes is not going to let that happen, which is uh, their assistant general manager, someone who was uh, hired by Daryl Morey. So I think they're going to they're gonna continue down this micro ball path, and I think they're going to continue to rely on analytics. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to make the same kind of value, value moves that Daryl was able to do over the past couple of years. Uh, and what he, what the Rockets choose to do with their, their non-taxpayer mid-level exception is going to be a big indicator here because, you know, there's all these questions about Tillman Fertitta and I think they're valid, right? Like what his, his role in the Russell Westbrook trade and, you know, his business dealings, whatever. But the biggest question by far since he bought the team is would he be willing to pay the luxury tax? Right. And so far, He's talked, he's talked a big game, but he has not put his money where his mouth is, right? And this is the kind of summer where, like, it's put up or shut up, man. You know, either you're going to spend that non-taxpayer mid-level exception to put yourself in, in deep into the luxury tax, or you're not. And that's the kind of message I'm, if you're a fan, you're looking to for Tillman Fertitta. Because, you know, 
it's only been four years, right? But this is a very pivotal. It's a very. It's been a very pivotal offseason for the Rockets because that kind of a decision tells you where his head's at in terms of spending on the organization, spending on the roster, and you know, I, 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 I reserve judgment, right? Because it's again, like with owners, I always say give it at least five to ten years. I, I said that when Tillman bought the team. And I'm saying that now. Give it five to ten years before you evaluate the team. But this offseason in particular is a big is a big uh, pivotal moment for the Rockets as far as whether or not Tillman's willing to spend that kind of a mo- kind of money on the roster. We'll see. I mean, it, again, a lot of question marks here. Uh, a lot of different things you can unpack if you really want to go that way. Yeah. yeah. So the whole like you know, give it five to ten years. What is the window with James, and is he? going to be moved is that on the table at some point not obviously now this season i mean with him and russ you're going to be somewhat of a contender if not a contender outright uh no matter what but you know what what is the the future with him do you do you foresee a parting at at any point it's very possible i mean so if they don't make the western conference this year i mean james might be the one to force that trade right james may be the one to come to the organization and say listen i i i I want more than this, and I don't think you guys can give me more than this. Can you guys explore explore the market for me? You know, uh, or it, you know, if if they fall short, you know, you have to get in a room with James and be like, you know, give us some more time. Maybe we can put this together. If you're the organization, like, listen, the whole point of a rebuild is to find a player like James Harden, right? Like, that's the absolute peak of a kind of player you can find in a rebuild. It, you, very rarely do you find players like uh, Zion Williamson, right? In the draft. It's, it's really hard to get those kind of guys. So the whole, the whole point of rebuild is to get someone like James. So it, I think if you're the Rockets, you keep James until he, he makes the decision to come to the front office and say, I want out because again, I don't know what kind of direction they, they want to go in as an organization, but I'm, I, just watching the NBA over the past 20 years, it's really hard to find guys like that and to rebuild. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, what, like, well, let's talk the rest of that roster. I mean, um, do you, are there, and is there, are there things that you see um, uh, uh, beyond just uh, having around the edges in, in free agency with, uh, you know, cap exceptions? Um, are there any, uh, you know, are there guys that they're going to bring back from last year? Are, are there guys that you see maybe as potential trade, um, you know, guys that they, they could move on from or, or try to tr- uh, maybe switch for a different position, anything that you, um, that, that pops to you, or do you think they're just going to try to run it back? Yeah, I suspect they're going to bring their core back and they're going to try to uh, rebuild around the edges. But I mean, you, you, when you look at their resources, they're just so limited in what they can do, right? Unless they really choose to spend that non-taxpayer mid-level exception, even if they do choose to spend that, there's going to be a lot of different teams using their tax, their their mid-level exception to, to try and get guys. And the, the kind of guys they're going to get are going to be highly sought after because this free agent marketplace is pretty dry. Like the, it's it's a pretty barren market, and a lot of the same guy, a lot of the same players are going to be highly sought after by the same teams. So it's going to be a really competitive spot for the Rockets. They're probably going to have to convince a good player to take less money than he can get anywhere else. And that's tough. That's tough. At the same time, I mean, what else can you do? I mean, unless you're really, so 
if, if there's going to be fireworks of the Rockets this summer, right? If they if they make a big move, I suspect they'll, they'll do it around the draft, right? I suspect they'll trade one of their if, if they want to make a big splash, they trade one of their veteran pieces in the draft, use that player they get in the draft, and try to use that player for another trade, right? That's the only logical move for them left on the table because as far as their pieces right now, it's not it's not attractive enough for a team like let's say. Let's say it's a young team trying to get off a really good veteran player. A really good, a young team trying to get off a really good veteran player is not going to want to trade with the Rockets because they don't have any future assets, right? So you want to be able to get that kind of an asset. And the only way you can do that is if you trade a really good vet in the draft. So that's the only way you see, you foresee fireworks. I suspect they're going to bring Ben McLemore back uh, on his player option because it's so dirt cheap. Uh, they'll try to get Jeff Green, but I think uh, Jeff Green's going to be sought after too. Um, and I, I think Austin River is going to walk away. I, I, I just think, um, his role on the team has been pretty limited the past couple of years. The guard rotation is pretty deep and it's been hard for him to find some oxygen there. So I think he's going to be a player that's probably going to walk away from the team. Philly, Philly might be able to use Austin. I hear there's a Rivers over there that has interest in him. <laughs> no, I mean, I think I think that's interesting, and and you know, like you said, there's limited windows of what you guys can do with your roster. Do you think what happened in the bubble is kind of a fluke in terms of the collapse, the whole Dunwall House situation? Um, is that do you think that's, or is it? Do you think it's a symptom of the what you know, like the, the media narrative around Harden, where it just he kind of fizzles out or comes up short in in the postseason no I don't think it's a fluke like the Lakers were the best team all year right like I the way they performed in the bubble and the way they pretty much decimated the Rockets when they decided to play Anthony Davis at center and ended the series I don't think that's a fluke I think they definitely underperformed though like I think in the latter parts of that series they definitely could have played better even without Daniel House like like Daniel House is an excuse you can't use that to play to get blown out by 20 right like Daniel Howe is not going to prevent you from getting blown out by 20 I think uh I think there was real effort issues at the end of that series uh I think James was for the most part fine in the playoffs I think he was I thought he had a decent playoff performance I I didn't have a problem with him but defensively it's very clear they're not there yet like they they need to be top 10 to really compete with these other teams and for the most part for the past two years They've been pretty much middle of the pack. That's what's separating them from teams like the Lakers, teams like the Clippers, uh, and uh, teams like the Bucks. Right, the Bucks were one of these top end teams all year. Right, I know they underperformed in the playoffs, but they're at that level of team. And if you're Houston, you have to be. You have if your goal in the offseason should be to try and improve your defense to a level where you can get back to. You know, you're not going to get. You're probably not going to get back to 65 wins and nearly on the on the precipice of the NBA finals again but can you get back to the western conference and maybe get to the high 50 win team area right can you be a top 10 defense and a top 5 offense again that's a, that's the real question for the Rockets there's a defensive coach in New Orleans i think you guys might be interested in i think his name is Jeff Bizdelic maybe familiar <laughs> and uh yeah maybe maybe he can put the the rockets defense back on track right yeah, um, the the Rockets really miss uh, the just having a defensive voice in the locker room, right? They they haven't had that in a while. I, I suspect that's why they're looking at guys like Jeff Van Gundy and Steven Silas. Um, 
they, 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 they need that strong voice because they haven't had that emphasis on the defensive end in a while. There's, I suspect they're still probably going to switch everything defensively, which is going to be interesting because if Jeff Van Gundy is the coach, that switching is a very modern defense, right? It, it's something that's come along in the last five years. Is Jeff going to be okay with that? Is, is he adaptable to that? Is he someone who's recognized the modern NBA and adjusted accordingly? That, that's going to be a question if they hire Jeff. The wait is finally over. Football's back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From games, spreads, and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on the season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today. And take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Yeah, so what 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 are you looking for in a coach? And, and what are your expectations there? Are you happy with the list that's out there? And you mentioned kind of having the a voice or structure that might bring about a defensive identity. Do you think offensively things change or is it still, still going to be like a lot of ISO ball? Um, so as far as what the Rockets need, I just, I think with the Rockets need that defensive first mentality again, and offensively, they definitely need to shake some things up at least play some more pick and roll like you did two or three years ago, right? Like the day have slowly diverged from a pick and roll team just straight isolation, right? And that's effective in the regular season, right? It's going to get you a top, like James Harden shooters and isolation basketball will get you a top three offense in the, in the, in the regular season. In the postseason, I think you need some diversity in that offense. So, you know, it's going to be on guys like Brett Gunning's uh, assist, assistant coach for the Rockets. He's a really good offensive mind to really add some dy- dynamism in that offense, you know, shake some things up, add some body movement, add some pl- player movement, add some, add some ball movement. Like they have been too far too stagnant for the past few years. It's going to be on James to move off the ball, which he, he hasn't been, he hasn't been willing to do for, you know, the past seven years since he's been in Houston. Like he has, he hasn't been that guy for a while. So he's going to have to change a little bit. And I think, you know, they're going to have to do a lot of stuff to really compete in the playoffs with these top end teams offensively, because I think what they have done for the past year, right? Like, I think they were good 
offensively two years ago and three years ago in the playoffs. They just ran up against the Warriors who are really great defensively, right? I think last year they just were not, like especially in that Thunder series, they were not the same offensive team you're used to seeing from Houston. So uh, I, I'm I'm curious to take it back to the to the roster for one last kind of kind of uh, radical question. What do you what do you feel like the the market for Russell Westbrook is? What um, and and so I, I know that that's a hard question given his salary and the amount of years left. But what you know? Do you think there is a market for him if they wanted to move try to move Russ this offseason? A would there be any appetite around the league and B what would it take to move off that, that contract? And I realize that may not even be something that the Rockets want to entertain because honestly, with, with all the draft capital that they're trading to Oklahoma city, like what's, what's the reason, uh, unless you think you're improving your team, but I'm, I am, I'm curious what have you, if you've thought about this at all. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not a hard conversation. Like do the Rockets have anything to add onto his contract? No. So they can't, they can't trade him. Yeah. Uh, his his contract's not movable. Is is there not? Is there a, a like a lateral move that you could see a team being moderately interested in, or just like it's a non-starter? It's never going to happen, or at least not not next year or so. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can always always see a dumb team, right? Like trading for a contract like Russ, but I don't think you know over the past two or three years, you've seen a lot of these dumb general managers kind of fade out. And it's becoming a really low risk proposition. Like it, it's, it's, it's hard to find those teams, right? Like, sure. You're going to see your Sacramento's and your Phoenixes, but even Sacramento, like they they hired Monty McNair and they're reshaping their front office. Right. So those dumb teams are becoming few and far between. So I, I, I don't think there's a team out there that's going to take that contract. You know, maybe if you, if you could find a team with a star, that's like what, that's like one star away from winning a championship. Right. And like that star is the, the problem with that theory is that that star has to be malleable to fit with Russ. And there's just, it's hard to find stars mm-hmm. that can fit assault alongside Russ in such a clean manner. You know, what's hilarious is that, well, two things, one, you guys have contributed heavily to the fact that there are less dumb teams in the league with Minnesota and the Kings getting people from the Mori <laughs> tree. Um, so you have nothing but yourself to blame there. But uh, the second thing is, you know, if the Pelicans still had Anthony Davis, I could totally see them talking themselves into trading for Russ. I could see it. I could totally, that would have been a, a very Dell Demps move um, to trade for this bloated contract, but he's a star and, you know, he's kind of like that alpha personality that Davis is in and they would have talked themselves into it and you would have had a partner and, you would have gotten some, you know, contracts that took Russ off your hands, frankly. And the Pelicans. Dell Demps catching a drive-by shooting from you guys. Wow. (laughs) By the way, like, how do you guys feel about Dell Demps as a coach? Like, do you think he'll be good in that role? He's never done it. Um, I have no clue. I think I I like Demps. Um, I have a good relationship with him. And I think, I think oh, so. He's he doesn't smart... listen to this podcast, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, he may have once upon a time, um, but I think he he's a smart enough individual to figure out the coaching stuff. And he comes from he was a really good scout. He was a really really good scout uh, when he was with the Spurs, and he spent a lot of time in the G League um, with the, the Toros, um, the Spurs affiliate or whatever that was, and 
the Spurs mafia takes care of their own. And so the jazz is just full up with ex Spurs people with Dennis Lindsay and Quinn Snyder and all of that. And so I think he's going to fit in very well there, especially because there's not much decision-making responsibility on him. What's interesting is Dennis Lindsay is also another ex rocket GM. <laughs> Uh, like the, the, the league is just full with these ex Rockets GMs, and it's funny. Like the the day that Daryl steps down, it almost looks like their front office is kind of barren, and there's not really someone that's very clearly you know able to step up and take that job. It, it, it's it's unfortunate timing for if you're Houston. I, and I, I, I like Shemet, I can't really speak to how good of a coach Dell will be, but I think it's a very innovative move by um, Utah, even if it's just based off of the relationship between, uh, you know, a coach and, uh, and, and Dell. It's, I, I think it provides a unique perspective that you don't always have on the bench um, as someone who's been in the front office and kind of, kind of like speak that language and like, and, and be that uh, the other side, essentially. Uh, I think it works both ways too. If you have a, a guy who's been um, or, or guy or guy who's been on on the bench for a while and bring him up to a front office role, I think that also has value too. So in that respect, I think it'll be uh, uh, you know good. I just don't you know who, who's to know uh, what kind of coach Dell is going to be. But funny enough, we had um, that was the Dell Demps is the second straight Pelicans GM to go to coaching because uh, Jeff Bauer did the same thing for New Orleans, like. Uh, a decade ago yeah, yeah just weird yeah. stuff but um anyway um so um let's see i think so, it's a good time to transition it to to the pelican since yeah. we've already sure. talked about it so much so one of the things we do to open up the pelicans conversation is to ask you you know what do you think the pelicans outlook is what do you make of their roster um and I guess we'll, let's get your thoughts on that before asking you the, the trade piece. I mean, they, they, they have some blue chip, pro, blue chip prospects right up there, right? With uh, Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram. That, that's a really good starting point, though. The fact that you have seemingly your cornerstone pieces already set in place is, is a good spot. Now, how you fill out the roster around those guys is going to be difficult. But I think when you're talking about team building, that's always the, the hardest part to find your corner, cornerstone pieces. And I think they already got that done. Uh, and the, the, the biggest question I have left is a, uh, how do they fill out the roster around these guys and B how healthy is Zion going to be for the next couple of years? Cause I'm sure you guys have already talked about that, right? Like that's, that's gotta be the biggest question mark for them moving forward. Yep. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's a million dollar question around BI, BI and Zion, how you build around them. And I think it's, you know, it's not just a, Next year question. It's long term because they got a couple, obviously a couple of guys who are coming up in, in a year from now and restrict are in restricted free agency. And then um, there's obviously a more pressing question around Drew Holiday and, and what the move is there. So, yep, it's a um, Griffin's got his work cut out for him over the next twelve months or so. Yeah, do you see Drew Holiday as a as a player that wants to stay with this young core, or do, do you think he wants to expand out? Because I mean, this this core is actually pretty flexible, and that I think they'll still be a good team next year if they if they find the right pieces around these guys. And I don't think they should spend too much draft capital, but if they find the right piece around these guys in free agency, I think they'll still they'll they'll be able to contend for the playoffs next year, but. I, I'm not sure if Drew, if they see or if Drew Holiday sees himself in that picture. I th- I think I could see it both ways. He's been a lot of time there now, right? And I wonder if he wants to, you know, to kind of explore around the league, you know, perhaps another team that is on the brink of perhaps when 
winning a championship or going all the way? It's, it's, it's a very interesting question that is uh, not frequently enough posed the way you posed it, which is what does Drew want? You know, it's like the, the Pelicans have him for another year and I'm sure they would, if, if they, you know, kind of figure out that they don't like the potential returns and trade for him, I'm sure Griff would be the first one to tell you that he would love to keep Drew Holiday in New Orleans for the rest of his career. Um, but the question's fair is, and I, and I think that the respect is, absolutely mutual the, this this he has endeared himself to the city of new orleans he and his wife i, I mean they, they've they're part of the city now um so i think that th- that's all valid but to your point if he doesn't see the team contending on the timeline he wants to contend on then i i, I do think I, I don't think you'd ever see anything public with drew i think it's something he would have a conversation about with griff in the background and it would never uh be something that he forced but um, it's, I, I don't have, I don't have a good answer to the question. Um, but every, all I can tell you is that I, I feel like he, he likes, he, he loves being in New Orleans and he's well-respected by everyone in the city. I mean, he just won that, what the team of the year award. Uh, and so that, that's not, you know, it, it seems kind of flimsy maybe on the surface, but it, it just, I, I think it goes more to show what type of character, uh, that, that Drew has. Yeah. So the, the only thing I'll add to that is February, there was team sniffing around for Drew Holiday. And Drew Holiday basically told David Griffin, I want to be here. I don't trade me. Don't ship me out. I want to kind of grow with this young team. Now, a lot has changed since February, especially with the world. There's um, circumstances are completely different. And it could be that Drew wants a bigger stage. I mean, his buddy, Anthony Davis, just won a championship. Right. And so to kind of get that recognition to compete for something more meaningful, I think, it's very possible Drew pursues that route. And if he does, I think the Pelicans will try their best to accommodate him to a destination that works in that regard. And obvious, and the, the good thing about that is that contenders are salivating over the prospect of potentially acquiring Drew. I mean, Brooklyn is very excited if they could land Drew Holiday. Denver um, would be a really good fit for him. They played really well. Uh, you can see the Bucks on. sniffing around too. Right, exactly. The Bucks. Um, you know, you, you name all these teams, and all you can be like, "Yeah, Drew's a great fit there." And so it all come down to which one of these teams are going to blow away the Pelicans in terms of an offer, because I don't think they will move him easily. And there is, I think, a possibility where, well, I, I here's what I think is most likely going to happen: they're going to approach Drew, and they're like, "Do you want to sign an extension?" and and see how he feels about that and i think the extension conversation is going to color his future whether he's going to stay or not and there's a there's a complete possibility they they agree on a number they sign him two to three more years and that kind of kicks that trade can a little bit further and gives you a little bit more leverage whereas a team could be like oh well drew is has an option year after this he's probably going to opt out we don't really have much security we don't want to give up all this for a rental and you know if he's locked in on an extension that that part of the negotiation goes away and maybe you find yourself some better offers. But yeah, so given that we've talked about Drew Holiday and you already are aware of the fact that the cornerstone pieces are Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, are, is there any Pelican non-Brandon Ingram, non-Zion Williamson that you would like to see on the Rockets? And, you know, what what kind of offer do you envision yourself making if that's the case? So we kind of talked about it before the podcast, but Derek Favors is a, is a kind of the kind of guy who I think a lot of teams can get for for a fairly reasonable price, right? And 
I think that the market's going to be, again, saturated with these role players. And, and Derek Favors, I think, on the lower end of those role players. And I think if you're talking about a gettable target for Houston, I think Derek Favors is definitely one of those guys who, you know, probably not going to start for you, but a really nice, you know, f- reserve piece for you, especially as you get deeper into the playoffs and you and you just need bodies at that point. Derek Favors is the kind of guy uh, – who's versatile enough to play in micro ball, I think as a small ball center and uh, can still give you production. Favors is interesting because like you mentioned, there's a lot to like about him. He's a good rebounder. He can theoretically protect the rim, even though this past year he wasn't quite so good at it, maybe because of injury concerns. Uh, one thing I will say is that, you know, if the Rockets turn into a heavy pick and roll offense, he's probably not your man. You know, if you want a little bit more of a, a boingy vertical threat that can finish lobs, and I'm not sure Favors is that kind of athlete anymore, but his market, I don't, you know, I don't expect it to be more than the tax payer MLE, that 5.4 or whatever that number is going to be this year. I don't, I'd be shocked if he makes something more than that. And if he wants to make something more than that, I'd want the Pelicans to pursue uh, a sign and trade where you know they have bird rights on him. They could boost up that salary number a little bit and push him to a team that he wants to go to and maybe get a, a small asset or a fake asset in return. Yeah. And if you're the Pelicans, you can afford to kind of sell off some of these pieces for future assets. You know, the players on the roster might not like it, but I mean, it's you're in that stage where you can still acquire draft picks. And later on, maybe you, you, pile up these draft picks in a composite kind of trade, perhaps, you know, maybe not a star player, but a really good player becomes available on the market when, you know, Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson are in their mid twenties, you know, and then you can use all those draft picks that you compiled in this time, or these young players that you acquired, that you acquired in this time, and then flip that for that really good player. And then that contention window for the Pelicans is right there. Right. Like, I think, I think we're, we're nowhere near that area where we can talk about contention for the Pelicans, but if they make a really strong playoff push next year, right? I don't think I don't think this year was really that strong of a push, right? And they had some health concerns, obviously, so I can't really blame to put too much on that. But if they if they make a really strong playoff push this year, then you can talk about perhaps you know packaging some of these players like you know Josh Hart um, and you know some Lonzo Ball, maybe some of these other young players for a really good player that becomes available on the market. I don't know if that, if it's going to get you a star player. I, I doubt it, but I think it'll get you a really strong player that can help put together this roster in a really neat kind of way. You're, you're, you're speaking Schmidt's language right now, except I think you, you know, we, we were just talking about this on the last podcast about uh, that, that, that trajectory, but, but really going for it. And so you, you have those players, you also have the picks from uh, your own picks, Los Angeles picks. So there's, there's a, depending on you know how val- how much you value those and obviously <laughs> the Lakers treasure chest is not off to a good start after they won the title just now um but uh it's still you still got some assets to load up on and and, and hopefully pull the trigger on something like that but uh, and listen guys David Griffin <laughs> is a really good general manager yeah. like he's a really really good general manager I don't think he got enough credit for what he did in Cleveland uh with the limited resources he had to build around LeBron but when, once you're a contender, David Griffin will find those guys for you. And I think if they can keep if they can keep a lot of these star players happy a lot long enough for that contention window to come, Griffin's a really nice guy to have around for that window. Man, we just got off a Cavs podcast and they said <laughs> the exact same thing. And so I'm excited for the Pelicans to potentially 
get to that position. Obviously, we haven't seen much of David Griffin um, taking a team from scratch to that position. But like you mentioned, Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram are a fantastic starting point to to take you in that direction. But yeah, I've you know I, anyone that has two seconds to listen to me, I'll tell them be like, yo, you know, three years from now, I want them to put it all in on the table for Devin Booker or, or Carl Anthony Towns, one of those guys some disgruntled star that's going to become available on the market that lines up uh, with the Pelicans timeline fits well as a piece and just go for it all. And what I really like about this team is none of these young prospects are theoretical, right? Like we know that Brandon Ingram and, and Zion have all-star potential. Whereas like a few years ago, we were talking about Minnesota in this kind of way. And I think a lot of us had sus- had you know suspicions that Andrew Wiggins was never going to be that kind of player. We know Brandon Ingram and Zion can be those type of players. So it's not like a fake good young team. I think it's a really, it's actually a legitimate good young prospect team. And I think that that helps in your aid for a really good coach. I, and that, that's, that to me is what's going to be interesting. What kind of coach do they want to bring in? Do they want to bring in someone like Monty Williams, you know, develop that young core, or do they want to accelerate the timeline a little bit further and go with Stan Van Gundy? I like Stan Van Gundy. I think he, I think he can stay around for both iterations of the team, but typically what you see in these situations is the team hires the young coach. And then as they progress, they, you know, they, they fire that coach and then they get the, the real coach the guy who's going to you know take you over the top. So I, I, that their interest in Stan Van Gundy is really interesting to me because like I suspect that Stan Van Gundy wants to coach contender, and I wonder if the, if the Pelicans by interviewing Stan Van Gundy and really taking him seriously are are telling the NBA, you know what, we want to go for it. Screw this waiting around crap. We want to you know really package these assets together and really go for it on the trade market. Really go for it for the playoffs next year that that's the kind of message you send to the rest of the NBA by really looking at a coach like Stan Van Gundy very seriously. And so I think uh, it's a little bit more than that. And, and this is a, a point that Schmidt actually made on our last podcast around the type of coach uh, Stan Van Gundy is. And um, the, the way he coaches compared to the, the, what the team looked like on the floor this past year, which is, I mean, a young team that sometimes looked disinterested uh, in and trying to go get their own and not really playing as a team all the time. And so Stan is a guy who's not going to tolerate that. At the same time, I think you're also right in that he's not going to want to coach a team that's rebuilding. So it's probably, it, it, I would imagine the pitch to Stan Gundy is something to the effect of, this is your team. You're, you've got it for as long as you can you know, create that positive trajectory. And so he, he's a guy who I think you can also rely on, uh, on with a team of young guys, but also hopefully is that guy who can help take the next step. And if he's not, then you're right. They, they make a move and they go find the guy who really will take that team over the top. So I think, um, you know, I was really excited personally for the uh, possibility of Lou. Obviously that didn't work out, but um, I, I, I like the idea of Stan Van Gundy uh, on, on this team a lot. Yeah. I thought he was probably the most underrated coach on the market, like him and Dave Yeager. I, I, I think Dave Yeager doesn't get enough, enough love in terms of how good of an X and O's tactician he is. Like he is always the guy on league pass where I'm constantly like, rewinding the play like what the fuck did he just draw up i'm sorry can i swear on this podcast <laughs> go for it yeah like 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 what did he just draw up out of the timeout like dave yeager is always that guy and you talk to other coaches around the nba he's always the guy that they're stealing from so i thought he was an underrated coach and stan van gundy i just didn't think a lot of people were talking about him until his name got brought up with this job and i'm just like yes like hire stan van gundy please he, he is too good to be coach to be commentating on abc right now he can do that don't, don't get me wrong he's really good at that I mean, his, his, him and his brother are really entertaining on, on the microphone on these broadcasts. But 
he is way too good to be out of the NBA for as long as, you know, he has been for the past couple of years. I, I, I want to see Stan Van Gundy back in the NBA again. I, I think he's a really intelligent guy. And I think, uh, I think he, he makes sense for any iteration of roster you want. But you have, I think, I suspect you'd have to convince him to kind of go through the growing pains of a young roster. Though, who knows? He, he, he did it in Orlando. I mean, he did it in Orlando. So, yeah, I mean, I, he, Orlando wasn't necessarily an old team when he took over. And even when he started his stint off in Miami before Riley took over, you know, D Wade was very young. Uh, Wade and Reddick talk about how he was pretty formative for their careers and they, he taught him how to be real NBA players, which is, I think, exactly what some of these young guys need. Even Zion, you know, Zion, as polished as he is with the media and all of that, uh, there is a lot to learn of what happens on the court. And so I'm excited for potentially Stan bringing in that that fire that he has. So you're right. I, I do agree he's, a, he's an underrated coach that the Pelicans are looking at. Yeah. Cool. Well, we have a couple questions for you before we wrap this up. The one I've been asking every single guest here is, who is your all-time favorite Houston Rocket? And if it's James Harden, non-James Harden. Oh, it's Yao Ming. 100% it's Yao Ming. It's like not like, and I think Yao Ming doesn't get enough love from the NBA community. That guy was really freaking good in his heyday. Like one of the best centers uh, in in the league at, at his t- at his peak, and like he was right up there with yeah with Dwight, right up there with Shaq, and in terms of his two way ability, like the Rockets were a top five defense every single year. Yao Ming was in Houston. We don't talk enough about how good he was defensively, and his soft touch around the rim, his ability to shoot mid range jumpers. I think he'd fare really good in the modern NBA. Like he kind of gives me like Porzingis on steroids vibes, right? Like watching some of his old tape, like I. I could see, like, when I watch Kirstaps Porzingis, like, I see a lot of Yao Ming in him, except Yao Ming was a lot, a lot better with terms of the footwork and the defensive ability. But, like, that's the kind of player he was. And he, he definitely captured my imagination as, as, like, a young Houstonian growing up and loving the game. Like, I, I had a Yao Ming jersey growing up. Uh, I'm sure a lot of Houstonians did. Like, he was definitely that guy for me. So, at Summer League last year, I he walked right by me. He was leaving one of the games that I think one of the CBA teams were playing and he was leaving the arena and he was on the concourse and he walked right by me. And it was just this moment of, Oh my God, this guy is absolutely enormous. Like, you know, he's tall, right? But it's one thing knowing he's tall and another being right next to him. You know, it wasn't that like, Oh, he walked, you know, like he was like 10 feet away, 15 feet away. No, he walked literally right next. Like, I could have high-fived him if I wanted to. I mean, his wingspan's enormous. He can high-five me from wherever. But, you know, he, it was just this moment of, man, this guy is absolutely enormous. And it was, it was a surreal feeling that like, no humans get that big. What, my, I, I got a question that's the exact opposite. So what, what's, the, what's the player you have, like, an irrational – hate's the wrong word, but just, like, you couldn't stand how many minutes he was playing, all, all the uh, – you know, however long he was in the team for. Is there a guy you just kind of wanted the team to be done with and just the, the relationship went on too long and you're just over it? Is there, is, is there a Rockets player that comes to mind for you? So this is probably my last my last stint as a fan with the Rockets, right? Like, Corey Brewer was that guy who just <laughs> – I, I had no idea, like, why Kevin McHale was playing him in crunch time of key games. 
Uh, and same thing when J.B. Bickerstaff took over the game. Like, J.B. Bickerstaff accelerated Corey Brewer's minutes. Uh, as Corey <laughs> Brewer was, was progressively getting worse as a basketball player, like, J.B. Bickerstaff was like, you know what? I need more of this. I need more of this. Played him, like, 40 minutes a game. And it was infuriating. Like, I... I I heavily disliked Corey Brewer and it had nothing to do with Corey Brewer, the person, as we all know, like Corey Brewer, the person is awesome, but Corey Brewer, the basketball player makes you want to pull your hair out. Yeah. We've had several of those players. We currently have one. Um, actually, yeah, well, this is a, this is a good, good <laughs> question to end the podcast. So Mason knows where I'm going with this. What are your, what's, what's your opinion on, on Lonzo ball and, and what do you kind of see with his with his future there? Yeah, like Lonzo is is that guy where like I think he's good, right? Like I like I instinctually think he's good. I see the basketball qualities there, and then he'll have a week where I'm just like, yeah, just, I I I want to get rid of this guy, right? Like if if, if I'm New Orleans, I, I I could totally see why you would want to trade him uh, the the first minute you can. But I think if you can find the right role for him, right? Like Rondo's kind of a guy who he gets a lot of, he gets a lot of Rondo comparisons, but like Rondo's kind of a guy who found his role in the NBA uh, after bouncing around a while. And it could just be the case that the, the league kind of moved way too fast for Lonzo. And he's, he's at that stage where like, it's really hard to be this kind of a point guard when you can't shoot. So I, I, I do think Lonzo's good. Uh, I just think if you're talking about starting caliber point guard on a good, on a, good playoff team good i don't i don't know if he's that i think he can be a good reserve for you you know i think he could be like a you know he doesn't have the same this similar skill set obviously but he can be like a spencer dimity for you so that's funny because we we have a slightly different perspective uh, perception of lonzo in the sense that we view him more as a wing than a point guard because he just is allergic to driving the basketball uh and doing literally anything in the paint but he's decent at spot up shooting three pointers, right? So he, he attempted around six or seven a game this year, shot around 38%. Um, his spot up three really came a long way. And he's, you know, he's six, six, he rebounds the ball, theoretically can defend multiple positions. I do agree with you that it's probably going to take some bouncing around to figure out that for him to figure out that's his best role rather than him trying to make himself a point guard, which he's not. And, and so I think when, if, and when he does figure out that role, he'd be excellent next to a guy like James Harden, uh, someone who is, can control the offense at all times and can get to any spot on the floor uh, because Harden can create a ton of catch and shoot threes for him. And then Lonzo can take some playmaking duties off of Harden's shoulder, but most importantly, he can really push the pace, defend those multiple positions. And I think that's kind of the fit that Lonzo needs what and i think i just don't know if lonzo realizes that yeah he has the potential to be really good defensively and you're his you're right his frame gives him the flexibility to play uh not just like off guard he can play wing as you said and drew holiday gives the pelicans the flexibility to do that so i i do i'm hopeful like 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 the moment is where i see a positive lonzo are just too much for me to be like give up on him as a really good NBA player. I think I think he can be that guy. Uh, I just I'm not sure if he can, if he's got that guy as a starter though. I, like on a good team, I don't think he can be a starter. Well, there you have it, folks. This was Salman Ali with the Rockets. Thank you for giving us your time and recapping what's been uh, quite an eventful week for for the Rockets in terms of upheaval and. 
good luck with the with the coaching hire. Yeah, thanks, guys. cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside and some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort i used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package but that all changed when i got my honda suv it's rugged and sophisticated and right now honda has deals on the entire honda suv lineup crv hrv pilot passport you name it so if you're looking for a car that's the total package the only place you'll find it is at your local honda dealer hurry before they're all gone What's up, everybody? I'm Bladen. I'm Matt. And I'm Theo. And we are Stay Hot, the only podcast that gives you the hottest analysis and takes on the NFL and NBA all year round. I know that there's a lot of losers and haters out there who don't think three sports TikTokers can hang for a full pod, but, you know, we're going to prove them all wrong. We're about to dive deep into the NFL draft and are already hitting the NBA playoffs. So watch Stay Hot on YouTube or listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.